Good morning, church. I uh, am grateful. Uh, so my name is Sean. Um, for those unaware, I serve the students here at the Hill. I mean, it's a privilege to do it. Um, yeah, just grateful. Just even uh, this moment now, it's just all of grace and all of grace that I get to um, expound on God's word, um, that I get to uh, proclaim his promises and his truths. Um, but again, as Paul uh, prayed for us, man, it's not it's not me, but it's Jesus um, is why we um, through what it is that he has to say. So we'll be in Psalm 25. So if you have a Bible, um, Psalm 25 is where we're going to be. Um, and then if you don't have one, there's some under the seats. You can grab one there. I'm sure somebody would love to help you get to Psalm 25 if you need it. But that's where we'll be. We're continuing our series, uh, Summer in the Psalms. Again, I'm not the main uh, preacher. If you're a guest, uh, he's on vacation. And all of July, we've been able to hear of and folk in our body just preached the word. And um, I'm just grateful to even be in the lineup, you know, cleaning up is what I like to say. So um, Jimmy will be back next week or this coming week, and then he'll uh, start us in Hebrews, and we'll be looking forward to it. But before we do dive in, I do want to share with you guys some wisdom, not wisdom, just advice that I received from me, uh, but especially when I look to uh, figure out the type of friends that I, I want to do life with, um, those friends that are worth keeping close. And he, he gave me three things. He said, Sean, you want to have those friends that know you well, that love you deep, and that aren't afraid to tell you, the, and they're not afraid to give you the information that you don't want to hear. And, and it just stuck with me. Um, and especially, um, as we'll see tonight, I think it's important uh, tonight, this morning, uh, of when we're making decisions. And again, these can be yeah, they could be small decisions. They could be large decisions. But right, maybe, maybe it's do I take this job or that one? Should I possibly come out of retirement and work a part-time job? Right? Should I take a gap year, or go straight into college? Do I live in this city or do I move to another? Should I date this person or should I marry this person? Or do I stay with this person? Should I take one more responsibility right now in light of the ones that I already have? Is adoption something to consider and pursue? Uh, this one's for a third this year. <laughs> My wife responds, though, only if you're caring and growing, which kind of shuts the conversation, right? But again, whatever decision that it might be, and it's the people who possess right the character and the integrity that we often gravitate towards for advice. We want to go to those people who we, man, they know us well, they love us deep, and they're going to give us the hard truths. They're going to give us the information that we maybe don't want to hear, but they love us right enough to say, hey, that's not the way. So in Psalm 25, we'll see that King David, right, he knows that he has that type of friend in God. And which is why in this moment of distress, he takes his pain to God in prayer. So he laments is what he's doing. Uh, so Pastor Jim, but he basically said, you know, lament is prayer in pain leading to trust. And this is David's heart. Once again, his raw emotions, right, being fleshed out is basically a constant back and forth between a prayer. David meditates. He prays. He meditates. And he's he's publicly, right, praying to God, meditating on the truths 
of God. And so you'll see sporadic feelings expressed. However, for the focus of our time, right, we'll examine David's heart behind his words and the content of his confession. And so what David is asking for of God is ultimately his guidance. So let's listen to the word of the Lord together. Psalm 25 is where we'll be, and I'll read it in full. Of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God. In you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. and Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. But make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they've been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. And for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. And he leads the humble in what is right. Teaches the humble his way. And all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. And his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, and... For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. And bring me out of my distresses. And consider my affliction and my trouble. And and with what violent hatred they hate me. Guard my soul and deliver me. And let me be not put to shame. For I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray real quick. And Father, more than anything, we ask to see you. And I just pray that yet it be the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock. So speak to us in a way that only you can. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. This morning, the point is this. I'll give you all the main point. It is the guidance of God. It leads the people of God by our growing trust. Mm, There it is. is why you have notes, by growing trust in the character of God. Again, the guidance of God, it leads the people of God by our growing trust in the character of God. So it's not so much as what is guiding David, but who he's being guided by. So a common thread interwoven in his prayer is a definitive declaration of God and who he is, along with what he's like in his nature 
And it's the, it's the very character of God that helps form and shape how David is, is to decide on all matters in his life. And so in your everyday, right, are you more consumed with your circumstances or his character? Of God's character and, and following that up, how his character should be the driving force and foundation for every decision that we have to make in this life. So the first one, God's reliable love. So verse 7, David pleads, right, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And, and in verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So David in his prayer of verse 7 and in his meditation of verse 10, right, uses the word steadfast to describe God's love. And so to be steadfast is the unfailing, it's, it's, it's to be unwavering, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 8 says the apostle Paul pleads, right, to the believers in Corinth, therefore my beloved, the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in other words, to be steadfast is to be, right, immovable. It's it's abounding, right? Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the, in the faith, stable, and there it is, right? Steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And so to be steadfast, right, is to be solid, is to be stable, is to be not shifting. I believe God couples both steadfast and his love because he, he wants us to understand that the resources of his love are not to be limited, And not only is his love not limited, but his love is also in every way reliable. So Hebrews 6, 19, right, the author proclaims, we have this as a sure and steadfast steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our, keep it from being tossed to and fro, right, by the storm. The hope in Jesus and his gospel is the anchor of his soul. It's not going anywhere. And so steadfastness, it's it's measured best in moments of affliction rather than comfort. You need storms in your life, right, to test the steadfastness of your faith, which is what makes the love of God so sweet. Because 1 John 4.10 proclaims, right, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins so propitiation in other words is an appeasement by means of sacrifice like somebody had to die in order for our sins to be paid right why is God trustworthy because his love remains steadfast even when it cost him his only son and he was the propitiation for our sins I already said that amen right but it's this this steadfast love of the Lord that David is pleading to God to remember in his time of Distress, And it's the steadfast love of, and faithfulness that is of the Lord. And so this word path that we see often in this psalm, right, it comes from verses 4 and 10, we see it, but it's referring to the tracks that are often made by wagons over repetitive, uh, in, uh, the wagon that's being made, right? So it's, there's, there's constance, there's consistency, right, being referenced when, when God speaks of, this reliable character of himself and, and, and of his ways. And it's why this is David in his distress starts with, right, the consistent, reliable, and trustworthy word of God in his quest for guidance. 
verse 4. He says, make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And this, like family, this should be true of all of us, right? When we're in need of guidance in this life, when we need to make decisions, the first thing in which that we need to do is we need to begin in God's authoritative word. When you make a decision, you need to begin in God's authoritative word because it's constantly reminding us of who God is in his character and what he's already made clear, right? What's he already made clear? What, what has he already said? And are you trusting in his unwavering and unfailing love for you? The future is already revealed that we see here in the scriptures. So that's where we need to start. And there also must be a remembrance of the one who guides us and what he's like, right? Exodus, God's servant Moses, he asked the Lord, man, please show me your glory. And in, and in 34, 6 and 7, right, we, we read this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Family, mercy and love is his heart. And in critical moments over the course of history, right, God's constant proclamation to his people, it wasn't a specific answer to their circumstance, but yet often a declaration of who his character is, who he is. Bounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Nehemiah 9 17, but you are God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. Jonah 4, 2, he says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and you're merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And he's saying, this is who I am. I'm the one that loves you more than you'll ever know. And I need you to trust me. And I need you to follow my ways. Family, his love for us is reliable. And he wants us to trust what he's already said. And in our decision making, right, to always begin. And his love revealed in David's prayer along with God's revered nature. We see God's revered nature, right? So David, he has, a, he has a brief cry of forgiveness and, and confession of sins in verse uh, 11. And then he moves to another meditation that speaks of his faith, his Lord, and a clear answer of whom God guides and who he instructs. So if you're following along um, in the word, verse 12 says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way. That he should choose. In verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Right, so oftentimes in our lives, our quest, I would say, for control, our, our quest for refuge and safety, right? Our quest, our quest for assurance. Ultimately, a lot of those things and the quest for them is being motivated by fear. So it's like the person, right, that might be desperate to uh, obtain a job. That will, you know, oftentimes if you adult and you pass 25 and you're off your parents' insurance that they have it, you've got to try and find your own. Pray for them, right? But you're seeking, right, this, this 
You're seeking these things, right? And, and again, there's not anything wrong with desiring these things, but the fear of not having your needs met or having insurance is ultimately, right, the driving force. It's the fear of not having that pushes you to want those things. Right? When our quest for refuge, assurance, and our quest for control, when that takes priority, what we're unfortunately implying is that God doesn't have our best interest in heart. And we seek to fill the shoes that God is meant to live in our lives. When, in fact, we'll never have complete control. We'll never have complete control. And we'll never be absolutely certain of all that is coming next. But there's peace to be found in knowing. Right? We're not made to know and control. There's also a peace in knowing that everything we, we don't know and control is meant to ultimately point us back, right? It's meant to point us back, uh, point us back to the Father, but again, pointing us more specifically, not to increase knowledge and power, but to a person, to a person in Jesus. And it's the person that says, he's saying, right, trust me, because I'm in complete control. And trust me, because I'm... I'm the one that holds all authority in heaven and actually on earth. It's been given to me. And it's only in this person where you can find true refuge. Right? So fear is the inward right, and outward emotion that reveals what we love. Fear reveals what we love. So what is your fear today telling you about what you love? Like truly, like what is the fear in your heart, telling you about what you truly love. Right? If counsel from God comes to the one who fears him, we must ha- not have a worldly understanding, but, but a biblical grasp on what fearing God means. And so the book of Proverbs, right, it helps us from of what this really looks like, what a healthy and a, and a holy fear looks like. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We cannot possess wisdom apart from an awestruck wonder and admiration for the Lord. We fear not because we're afraid of God, but because we love him. And our growing knowledge and appreciation of his grace, right? Forgiveness and his mercy only strengthens us inwardly. It strengthens us to, to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, right, is present in the heart that knows this. Because of who Christ now is in their life, there is now no need to. Rather, there is a freedom to serve Jesus with joy and gratefulness for who we know him to be. And so in your life right now, right, is Psalm 8611 a common ass your name? Because it's a pursuit often of his ways in your life that is needed, right? But that pursuit of his ways in your life, it starts ultimately with a holiness and a pursuit of holiness in your heart. Right? A pursuit of his ways in your life, it starts with the pursuit of his holiness in your heart. So Proverbs 9.10, right? It declares the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so the theme of Proverbs 1, it's repeated here, right? But what's different is is one's understanding of who God is. And here we see that it's it's the Holy One that we fear. It's the reason in which David confesses his sins before God in wisdom, right? He knows he's a sinner in light of God's divine holiness. But in confidence, he also knows it's God who saved him. 
And it's only by way of this gift of grace that we should receive a, a love from a holy God. And, it, and it's of grace that right, we don't fear him from a heart that's anxious and a heart that's holy. That's why we fear him. Because he's holy and we're not. And it's his holiness that sets him apart from yet the people in which that he's asking to be like me. R.C. Sproul says this of God's holiness. And it points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. And he is an infinite cut above everything else. And the word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is, a, is holy love and his justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy and his knowledge is holy knowledge. End quote. Family, it's the graceful touch of God that makes the object or yet maybe the person, right? That he lays his gracious hand upon that makes that very thing holy. And he says to us, be holy for a measure. And we're called to be who he is, right? Be holy for I am holy. He's saying, be who I am. That's what he's saying. Once again, the guidance of God does not talk about how God guides as much as whom God guides. And he's guiding the one, right, that fears him. And we fear him because he is holy. So when you're growing knowledge of his holiness, right, your love-driven fear of him, it will follow. Verse 9, right, it says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Right, so it's the humble individual that he leads and teaches. And David, David models for us a humble heart that's expressed in his prayer. Right, they're pleas of forgiveness to a faithful God that pardons sins all throughout the psalm. And when you align your sin to God's holiness, right, you'll, trust me, you're going to be humble. There's no better way to put it. Right? When you take your sin, it's going to be humble. It's always going to happen, right? the God that we serve. Man, we would approach him with humility. That's the person in which that God guides. So right with every decision, beginning God's authoritative word, and two, man, aim to reflect God's holistic nature. Like That should be your aim in the decisions in which that you're making. Start in God's word, but yet even two, aim to reflect God's holistic nature. Fear him and choose wisely, right? And how you decide, the first question you ask shouldn't be, like, how will this benefit me? Or is this the best situation for me? But rather, will it bring God the most glory? These questions get answered honestly by a a thorough examination of the motives that are within us, right? Are your motives behind the decision you're are they leaning more towards an honor of the Lord or an honor of Self. So you need to ask yourself, right? And where where are my motives aligning? Are they are they consistent with what we see in the scriptures and who we know God to be? Are they self seeking? Mm. Right. But in the seeking of guidance, it's important to know that the basis of your decision it can't solely come from a logical point of view either, because sometimes right the decisions. Uh, God moves us towards, they won't make any sense. 
part. We see that throughout the Bible. Right? Jesus tells Moses, man, go, you know, go do this. Go throw a staff in front of uh, Pharaoh and it'll turn into a snake. What? Don't make no sense logically, right? But that's what God says. And guess what? He's obedient to what God commands him to do. And guess what? God, like he always does, delivers. Like, especially when we view his ways with the, right, the goggles of this world. Right? The world often counsels us to do what makes you happy. I would say it's a, you know, a focus on you first. I got to do me. We often hear that, right? Which these aren't bad where you should start, especially for the Christian. Jesus, on the other hand, right, in his teaching of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5, says this, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's David's psalm in years past that Jesus is practically quoting Psalm 37, 11, right? But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Again, he's drawing attention to the type of person that God blesses, right? The person that is meek. So what is meekness? Right? Simply put, me- like meekness is strength, not from yourself, but strength from trust in a sovereign God. Meekness is strength from a trust in a sovereign God. Right? It's that calm soul in the storm type of Strength that everything is falling to pieces on the outside, but I have complete peace on the inside type of because I know that it's God in which that is behind me. And I know it's God in which that is sovereign and it's God in which that is guiding my path. I can do hard things because I know who my father is. That's what meekness is. And ultimately, I trust his will over my own. Brothers and sisters, like this is the heart of David. We see on display in this particular psalm, his heart is set on the very character of God. For he knows the wise and all-sufficient counsel of an intimate God is, is what will ultimately guide him, right? And he knows God's ways are what is best for him. Like, can we say the same? Does his character matter? Trusting the good shepherd to guide you in every decision, right, that is required of you to make. From this psalm, David knows, he knows that. He knows that. And he's resting in God's, God's holiness, right, that warrants a devoted fear. And lastly, David is sure that God's redemptive sovereignty is trustworthy. It's this trust in God's sovereignty that bookends David's prayers, right? So he starts, right, with a, uh, a word of trust, right? Oh, my God, in you I trust. And then he ends. He ends with uh, an affirmation of trust, towards the, uh, uh, of trust towards the Lord. So from 16 through 22, we hear the word, words of David's, right, troubles, both inward and outward troubles, followed up by reliance on God and who David knows him to be. And so it's, it's in the thick of his troubles that he exemplifies a trust in God. So growing up in high school, I guess I still do it to this day, but the common uh, phrase that I use of trust is, man, bro, I got you, right? Anybody ever use that? You know, I got you, yeah, one in the back. Bro, I got you. Like, you can trust me. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, I got you, you know what I mean? Like, if they whisper, it always carries me. 
I really trust that you do, dog, you know. But that's, that's what we're seeing David do, right? He's saying, man, Lord, I need you. And he's trusting that, man, God's got him. Do you trust that he's got your six in the trenches of this life? Because that's where it's built. Trust is often built in the trenches. Right? If somebody says that I got you in a difficult situation and moment in, in, in reality of your life, it carries more weight than if they say I got you, y'all are just going to get ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, all right, word, you got my ice cream. But if you're going through and you got somebody that says I got you, it carries weight. Not on the mountaintops. And David, he's in the trenches and he believes with hope. It's evident from the outpouring of his heart and the act of prayer to a holy and loving God, right? And what we find in this portion of David's prayer is his cries for rescue, deliverance, right? Being met with confidence and an assurance in God. There's a redemptive thread woven within his prayer. And by God's grace, the believer knows this is God's plan for the world. Right? As the believer, we know that the redemptive thread we'll see in David's uh, words. Man, that's, that's God's plan for the world. Verse 17, right? David, please bring me out of my distresses. 18, forgive all my sins. 20, deliver me. And 22, right? Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. He's not thinking just of himself. He's praying for redemption for his people. Right, family, the reason David pleads for rescue in his prayers is because, and he knows who he's not. David knows who he is, and he knows who he's not. Right, he's a beggar of saving grace, and he's not the one that gives it. Right, he's in need of guidance and counsel, and he's not the good shepherd and the wonderful counselor. Right, he's, he's a sinner of rescue and redemption, and he's not the forgiver of sins. And the sovereign redeemer of the steady throughout God's story of the Bible. Right? Isaiah speaks of God as redeemer throughout his book. Many times, so 47.4 specifically, right, a redeemer. He says, our redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the holy one of Israel. And again in Isaiah 63.16, for you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, Our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. Do we know who we are and do we know who we're not? Do we know who we are and do we also know who we're not? Family, if we are to know God rightly, we first must recognize our deep need. For apart from Christ, right, the wages of sin is death. But praise God for the Apostle Paul's proclamation of Romans 7.24. In 25, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And there's the need, right? We see it. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the answer. Romans 8, 1, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christian, know who you are and know who you're not. In Christ, you're the redeemed and now no longer a child of wrath. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Non-Christian, you're in desperate need of a Savior. 
And you're not the solution of your sin. In grace, right? Christ, he's lovingly laid down his life to be your solution. And it is vital that you know who you are and who you're not for your salvation, but also when it comes to God's redemptive story, his redemptive plan. So David holds his trust and confidence in the Lord because his hope is in the one whose every promise is yes and amen. Verse 5, right? For you I wait all the day long. And again in verse 21, for I wait for you. So in other words, he's basically saying, I put my hope in you. When he's calling out, I wait for you, he's saying, I'm putting my hope in you. David knows God's sovereign, and he knows God is in control of all things, including his suffering. And David knows that the Redeemer isn't a means to an end to alter his circumstances, right? But rather, it's Jesus himself that is the end. It's the Lord who knows he will guide him, especially in the moments of confusion and cloudiness. David demonstrates a a trust in the author of his story and record tears and swallow up death forever. God holds infinite power and glory over all creation because he is the sovereign Lord, not us. And he's the sovereign Lord who puts an emphasis on eternal matters over the temporary ones. He's the sovereign Lord who who scripted every Christ follower's story and points it back to the greatest story ever to be told in Jesus. He's the sovereign Lord who's the plan and a desire for you to play a part in his narrative. He's the sovereign Lord who says, don't be consumed with your circumstances, but rather my holy character. And he's the sovereign Lord who's yet to make a mistake and he never will. And he's the sovereign Lord who asks, like, will you trust me? Even though you don't know all the answers that I have for you, will you trust me? That's what he's asking. Like, will you trust me? case for all of us at some point in our story. Right? We'll be faithful and turn out right, but we serve a God who knows all. Like, we serve a God who knows all past, present, and yet even future, along with the intricate details of your story. Strong enough to know everything, but yet also strong enough and sovereign enough to know what you're going through within your own heart. That's the God that we serve. Mm. His desire is to weave the story of your life into his eternal story. He wants to weave your life into his. Which is why, right, in in every decision, begin in God's authoritative word, aim to reflect his holy nature, and also trust the better author of your story in light of his redemption and his redemptive plan. Right? Trust the better author of your story in light of his redemption. Know who you're not. You're not the focal point of his story. <laughs> you're not the focal point of his story. There's only one person that holds that place. His name is Jesus. There's only one person that holds the main role in the story in which that God is is scripting, and that's Jesus. You are, though, a strategic role player in his story, and God wants to guide you through the story he's writing for you and ultimately for his glory. Like We serve a God that doesn't need an eraser. 
That's the God that we serve, right? Y'all ever messed up the, the date in January at the beginning of every year? God doesn't do that. You know? He never messes up. He writes with that Sharpie pen because he knows he will be perfect in every stroke. This is true of your life. This is true of your life. So my wife and I, we got here not long ago. Uh, February is when we landed. We came from North Carolina. It was actually in North Carolina right before we transitioned. I was breakfast with another youth pastor in North Carolina, and he was just telling me of all that was going on. So again, served at staff at a church, um, and it was maybe a week prior to that. The main pastor of their church lost his life, and it was actually very sudden. Uh, he was, I think, maybe early, late four, but got pneumonia ultimately uh, got diagnosed with COVID. Um, and then over the course of, again, he just went over for a minor checkup with pneumonia. And one thing led to another. Over the course of two weeks, he ended up losing his life. And I remember that conversation vividly uh, with, with my friend, mainly because you, know, you could just see the, the sense of concern. You could, you could see the sense of just lostness and um, heartache and pain and just hard, hard emotions that he was dealing with. You could see uh, he hurt for his people, you know, the, the, the body that was all ultimately um, left behind. But yet even too, he spoke of uh, church staff had to go through. He was like, bro, we really don't know what we're going to do as far as trying to, to find a, a new pastor just hit suddenly, right? And he was, you know, he gave some counsel. He said, man, I, I've been telling everybody since then, man, like, have a plan. Like, every church should have a plan for who's being raised up, right? Who's, who's, who's going to take the reins? But, again, it was just a, yeah, he just said it was a hard moment. Um, and, and some decisions that had to be made uh, that, one, they didn't want to, one, they didn't think that they were going to make. Um, and they just knew it was just going to be a hard season. Um, that they were in, and really what they were going to be going through. You know, but y'all, again, you may never in your life have to be on staff to try and figure out who's going to shepherd your people, but I promise you, you're going to come across hard moments in this life, right? Um, and they're going to be difficult, and they're going to be uh, raw emotions, um, like we see in David. They're going to be moments where um, it's just moments where you got to remember, man, we serve a faithful God. We serve a faithful God. We serve a sovereign God. We serve a loving God. We serve a God that is going to be guiding us. We serve a God that knows the plans. We serve a God that knows all things that are going to happen. And he's simply just asking, man, will you trust me? That's what he's asking. Will you trust me? Family, remember his love. Reflect his holiness. Rest in his sovereignty. In other words, trust the best friend that you have in Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. It's his character. It's been tested. And still today it remains trustworthy. Right? For the guidance of God, it leads the people of God, ultimately by our growing trust in God's character and the character of God. Let's pray. Father, what a joy 
What a joy it is to come before you. What a joy it is to know that all promises by you are truly yes and amen. And we're thankful for Jesus and the ways in which that he often meets us in the trenches. And he's saying, I got you. And he's saying, you can trust me. Father, forgive us for ways in which that we have not done so. But yet thanking you too for your patience with us. And Father, I do pray and ask that. And as we continue to sing and as we continue to worship, that we would contemplate just see it, how we can go about being led and guided by the good shepherd in you. And ways in which that we need to often think of who you are in your character. And how it is that we can reflect that. Because that's what you ask of us. You ask us to be holy for you are holy. But it will not take place apart on our own strength, Father. We need you. So have your way. And Father, I do pray and help them to find answers in your word. Help them, Father, to find assurance um, in a God that desires for them to be saved. But you're working in ways that we cannot see. And we simply just... um, Thank you for guiding us, especially in those dark moments, in those hard moments. But we can truly do hard things with you. And so it's in your name that we do pray. We love you. Amen.